You're listening to a podcast brought to you by Trowers Includes, international law firm Trowers and Hamlin's diversity and inclusion programme. Hello, this is Ewan Watson from the Law Society's LGBT Plus Lawyers Division Committee. It's LGBT History Month, and I'm thrilled today to be at the offices of Trowers and Hamlin's. I'm joined by Helen Randall, who sits with me on the LGBT Plus Lawyers Division Committee, and who is also a partner at Trowers and Hamlin's. Helen has kindly invited two of her partners, James Hawkins and Paul McDermott, to join us on this podcast. Helen is going to lead a discussion with James and Paul about their experiences and the work that they did for the Gay and Lesbian Legal Advice Service in the late 80s and 90s. Before I pass over to Helen, I'm going to ask James to give us a bit of background about what GLAD did and uh, what exactly the service was. Thanks very much, Ewan. Uh, Well, uh, GLAD was a voluntary uh, free legal advice line uh, aimed at uh, gays and lesbians um, with often what were perceived to be gay and lesbian uh, type issues, and it was run by um, gays and lesbians. We basically operated a weekday uh, evening service, uh, manning telephones for around two hours um, uh, at a time, and taking calls from uh, people who had um, heard about the advice line and wanted um, either advice or support or um, referrals uh, to other, uh, what we perceived to be at the time, gay-friendly firms to to help them take issues further forwards. And what was so interesting was the diaspora, really, that has come out of gay and lesbian legal advice in terms of the lawyers. We were all young lawyers, many of us starting out on our careers as trainees and paralegals or, or pupil barristers. And... It's fantastic to see how a number of these people's careers have developed. So there was James Welsh, who went on to become Director of Liberty, about whom the film Official Secrets has been made. Um, There was uh, the late Cabs Gooding, who was an amazing campaigner for disability rights. Uh, Bridget Irving, who runs a very successful criminal practice. Um, Malik Wendowd, who's a very successful uh, barrister at... Um, Garden Court Chambers and um, Jackie O'Keefe who, who went on to do environmental law and I think what's so important is that we're recording this podcast now because of course some of us are retiring, some have already retired and some will be retiring so I think from an LGBT history point of view it's really important we capture this. So, Paul, um, I remember uh, you were very instrumental in uh, helping us keep our grant going. Um, and can you remember, how, how was GLAD financed and, and who paid for it? It was financed two ways, really. One was uh, collections. It was a free service for people to use. But the main funders were Association of the London Boroughs at the time. Um, It was quite brave of them. It was a very anti-lesbian and gay and trans environment, but they stuck by us firmly. And I think the other thing was we were based in the LGBT centre and I wish we still had one. Yes. That had been kind of gifted almost by Greater London Council. And after that went bankrupt, we were really bailed out by Stonewall, who gave us space in their headquarters. And um, it, it was great fun, really, because we, we'd man the lines from 6 to uh, six to 9 o'clock, I think it was Monday to Thursday, 
and um, you go on with another volunteer, wouldn't you? And and that's how we that's how we made friends with each other and we helped each other out with legal issues. I was pretty hopeless on criminal law. They rang about all sorts of issues, didn't they, the callers? And um, the laws were very different then. And uh, James, do you have any recollection of, of what we used to advise? Well, I, I, what, what I remember, having done it for nearly four years, is how these sort of issues changed over the time, reflecting very much uh, the history of um, uh, LGBT uh, issues. Over, over that period. So <clears throat> uh, very much in the late 1980s, a lot of the questions would be related to mortgage applications and um, life policies, because most people could only get a mortgage if you also took out a life policy that was some sort of savings policy that would effectively pay off the mortgage uh, at, the end, at the end of the term. And the big problem was that this was a time when uh, HIV was uh, uh, growing in, in, in prevalence. Um, people were being encouraged to test, but obviously there was no um, there was no effective treatment. And, um, and and the problem with the insurance companies is that even if you tested and you tested negative, they would refuse your application. So we had a number of questions about what were people doing, uh, how could they manage to obtain a, a, a mortgage, and it, it was very difficult for us as lawyers because we were aware that a lot of people were effectively lying. So we also had to advise on what the consequences would be if, it, if, if, if you did make an application and then, uh, and, and then effectively there, there was a problem later on. And then the next thing that I remember very much as a, as a development was the increase in the number of queries that we had about uh, wills, uh, probate, inheritance, and property uh, and property rights, uh, and that was I, I remember that distinctly. That we we would get a number of questions about, uh, often very harrowing, uh, from people whose partners had died, where they hadn't made wills, where uh, the partner's family perhaps were throwing them out of the marital home, um, uh, and and I think obviously I mean touch wood, these things are behind us now, but. Um, but it was, um, it, 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 it was, I think, very indicative of the time that people, people were living in. Paul, do, what do you remember? I think taking up on Jane's theme, a lot of the laws were designed to force people to stay in the closet. And I think a modern kind of listeners might not understand that. So the kind of sexual offences angle, it really seemed to be based on the fact if there wasn't laws, all men would go and have sex with men and leave their wives or whatever the fear was. So, for instance, gross indecency, actually, the law was you had to have sex with a man in private, but case law said a hotel might not be in private because someone would be in the next room. So shocking, isn't it? It is. It was really oppressive. And the other thing that went on, particularly in Greater Manchester, they had an incredibly homophobic chief constable and British transport police had nothing better to do. They had pretty policemen, so they deliberately went out their way. And if someone responded with a smile or a wink, let alone a kiss, you know, they would be arrested. And again, you know, that comes on to employment. There was no protection whatsoever for LGBT people. Most contracts had something about moral, you know, endangerment or whatever in employment contracts, which could mean anything. And it was lawful to sack people because they were lesbian, gay or trans. And so another thing forcing people into the closet. And I think Clause 28 in education, I do remember calls from teachers who, again, didn't feel they could come out. 
Clause 28 for the younger listeners was a law that said it was unlawful to teach that homosexuality was pretend family relationships, whatever that meant. Um, but it created a horrendous environment. Uh, and as I say, all designed to keep people in their place and silent. I couldn't agree more. And it, 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 you know, they really were very difficult days, I think. And I think we shouldn't really underestimate the courage of, of a number of the volunteers at, at GLAD who, who, who weren't out at work, um, but they still did GLAD. Um, and they still, you know worked hard on GLAD after uh, the hours of their sort of daytime practice. And I do remember that, I don't know, it was way before the days of the internet, and we used to have that rather scruffy Lever Archfile that used to have um, gay sympathetic solicitors, or LGB uh, uh, sympathetic solicitors, uh, all around the country. And um, we used to fastidiously keep this up to date, if you remember. And if someone rang up and they said, actually, I, I didn't have a good experience with that solicitor, we used to carefully note it next to their name and don't refer back to them. Um, but uh, what was good, I think, was that GLAD, in a way, it was, it was legal advice and we did refer people from time to time to switchboard, but it was a bit of a lifeline in terms of someone actually... Sometimes it can be very touching, people talking about problems they've never been able to talk about to anyone else. So I think what's really quite interesting is to reflect on what is so very different now in, in 2020. <clears throat> um, Paul, have you got any observations? It's a massive change. I mean, essentially, on the whole, we have equal civil rights, uh, which is dramatic. And it's quite interesting, I was talking to a younger colleague who's heterosexual and she just didn't understand why I had such a network of LGBT friends. And I was trying to explain to her, well, in those days, and they weren't that long ago, you were forced almost socially to be yourself. That That's what happened. And now it's dramatically changed. Yeah, I mean, James, do you remember, in terms of the culture in the legal industry back in the late 80s, early 90s? I mean, I, I think I was incredibly lucky uh, starting my training contract in 1987 that actually I worked, um, I worked in a firm with openly gay partners, um, which was pretty unusual there. Uh, and then after, after my training contract, um, I, I moved to another firm where there weren't any openly gay people, but um, it, it was still pretty open. But I think um, remembering the the big 1990-1991 recession and um, being made redundant like so many accountants and lawyers at that time, uh, having to apply for jobs, I, I did end up in a being position of not having a job offer confirmed because a referee mentioned that I was gay. And I think that indicates um, how things might have changed. Uh, it, it was all fortuitous because I ended up by joining Trous and Hamlin's very shortly afterwards uh, and, haven't, uh, and haven't looked back. I, I think that um, the legal profession has progressed enormously over the last, um, over the last uh, 20, uh, 25 uh, years. Um, most firms now have very vibrant LGBT plus uh, inclusion programs. And I, I think a lot of, most law firms, I think now appreciate that diversity and inclusion is not, not just um, the right thing to do, but is also commercially beneficial. And I think people have managed to make uh, that connection. I think 
even more importantly, our clients are now demanding that their lawyers are uh, diverse and, and inclusive. And I, and I think that also helps to, uh, helps to push us and inculcate those, uh, those changes um, uh, for, for the benefit of, um, uh, of everyone. I think a big issue as well is that at last we have some recognition in the law um, for trans rights. And, um, you know, back then, uh, you would have had to go to Europe, really, basically, to enforce some of those rights. Um, and also, fortunately, now hardwired into uh, the SRA Code of Professional Conduct, of course, we have um, that all solicitors must have an understanding and awareness of diversity. And I think that is... You know, it's great that it's got there, but I, I think we all feel, don't we, that that was quite. It's been quite a hard-fought battle. I think what is a terrific coincidence, really, is that the three of us all ended up practicing in the same law firm here at Trous and Hamlets together. I will never forget, Paul, that I was working in a, a, a very large city firm. I was made redundant because of the property crash. And uh, it was through knowing you at GLAD uh, that you got me a job at Camden and you attracted me to the job by saying, um, the boss um, is a fantastic person. They're a bit like Anna Madrigal from Tales of the City. Um, She's now in the same building, actually, but not in Trowers. But I don't know if we can mention her or not. <laughs> well, do you remember about the, what the culture was like at Camden? I do, and I think it goes back to something James said, that you know, parts of the legal profession were beyond hostile, and Camden wasn't. It was a very... Uh, Camden Legal Services was a very open, inclusive organisation that, that genuinely and positively got the fact it wanted its staff and its lawyers to represent people that lived in that borough. So, and it was a fantastic experience and incredibly empowering. I agree. I think the issue for me at Camden was it was the first place that I came out at work and it just felt amazing. It was so liberating. Everybody was so positive and so supportive they, they embraced it as part of the sort of richness of diversity. And we didn't even really call it diversity in those days. We used to call it equality, didn't we? <laughs> I, think, I think you just called it, these are my colleagues. Yeah. Is that good? Yeah. Um, but I think the great thing that I felt is it made a massive leap in the terms of my, my professional confidence as a lawyer. Yes. And I went from being, I think, probably rather mousy um, to being much more or confident, um, probably some people who wish I was still a bit mousy, but hey. So James, I mean, now here we all are at Trowers and Hamlins. Yeah, so I mean, I, I, I joined um, Trowers in 1991, and at, at that time it was uh, quite a conservative with a small C firm, uh, but actually very supportive of individuals. Um, it's a firm that's always va valued individual behaviour um, rather than cardboard cutouts of who you think a solicitor ought to be. But, um, I have seen some some big uh, changes over, over over the years. I I remember when you know being positively encouraged by the senior partner to bring my my partner to uh, social events and um, uh, and and that that started a movement for a lot of other partners also. Bringing, uh, bringing their same-sex partners to, uh, uh, to, to social events. Um, and, and we're very lucky that we have a very strong LGBT plus uh, presence um, uh, within the partnership. One of the things that used to concern me slightly was whether or not 
we would see the same diversity uh, and openness amongst more junior people. But I, I have to say that, in particular, since the regeneration of our LGBT plus network, it, it has been absolutely amazing. The, the number of partners, junior solicitors, support staff, people from different offices who are actively um, participating, and in particular, the number of junior uh, people who are um, who are actively support, supported, uh, supporting, and and the other thing which I think is you know, is worth noting, and the big change from what what Paul was talking about, uh, when perhaps a lot of gay and lesbian people spent most of their time with other gay and lesbian people, is the incredible support that we now get from our straight allies, uh, colleagues, um, in particular younger staff, who I think really value for their own for their own personal development. Um, the openness that they get from their LGBT uh, uh, colleagues. And I, and I have to say, uh, I would offer them an enormous thank you for the support uh, that they've given us uh, and um, in, in terms of moving the whole agenda forwards. Uh, I, I'm very positive about the future, but I think it's also in, in somewhat uncertain times very important that we are not complacent about the, about the uh, improvements that have taken place. And I think we always need to be on our guard to make sure that things are not moved backwards. James, I've got one question about trials. I know when I was at GLAD, it was called the Pink Triangle, and it kind of stood out even then. And I suspect you might have some info about why. Well, this was, this, this was in part around a building that we had in the Scepter Court, which was a pink marble triangle <laughs> building. Um, but yes, it, I mean, it was at that time, I think... Um, I'm not quite sure how well-known it was outside the firm. Uh, some people clearly knew, but it was, even in those days, had quite a lot of gays and lesbians working uh, working for us. I think because... Uh, I, I think we perhaps didn't realise that we were slightly unusual in that, but having having run a department with largely gay partners and quite a lot of uh, junior gays and lesbians in the department, um, perhaps, perhaps I should have been more aware that we were slightly unusual. I, th I think it's a terrific thing to celebrate and um, I agree with you, James. I think Paul and I, both of us, really want to echo our thanks to uh, our straight allies um, of all generations um, who've supported us throughout our practice. No, I agree. And I, I think the other thing I would echo, even beyond the LGBT community, I think in these more shrill times that, you know, inclusion is everybody. Helen, James and Paul, thank you. Uh, that was fascinating. It was very interesting to learn about what GLAD did and your experiences working for that services, but also to hear and learn about your careers and how you all um, progressed through your careers together and now work at Trowers and Hamlins. You have been listening to a podcast brought to you by Trowers Includes, international law firm Trowers and Hamlins diversity and inclusion programme. Find us at trowers.com forward slash Trowers Includes and join in the conversation on Twitter at Trowers hashtag Trowers Includes or find us on LinkedIn and Instagram.